0: This is the kind of disclosure that undermines our country, our our security, and our well-being.
1: This Department of Justice will defend and enforce lawful orders of the President consistent with the core principles of our Constitution. The House bill that's been forward is Obamacare-lite, it won't work.
2: We need a system that's affordable for folks, a system that's accessible for individuals, that's of the highest quality, that incentivizes innovation and that empowers patients. It's time to make America great again. Join the movement. (music) Neil A. Caruso. The Neil A. Caruso Show. (laughs) (laughs) Time to dream big. Informative, insightful, and valiant leadership. Telling it the way it is to make a difference.
0: All right, the Neal Crystal Show podcast on this Thursday, March 9th. Uh, thank you for being a part of this program as always. And today we have an exclusive interview with a healthcare expert, Uh, from George Mason University to basically decipher this entire Obamacare repeal. I've been very critical myself of the bill because I just uh, don't think it is conservative enough. I don't think that uh, it will do anything but raise prices. In fact, I know that um, in doing my research. And uh, our expert tonight, uh, Bob Grayboys, confirms that with me. So you can hear that. We're going to do our monologue, and then on the other side of the break, we will have the um, exclusive interview on healthcare, and we get into a lot of very interesting topics um, related to healthcare, because what do politicians always discuss when it comes to healthcare? They talk about your insurance, but they don't necessarily talk about healthcare, talk about health insurance, not healthcare, Um, and we talk about that, and we talk about innovation in healthcare and how that can really drive down prices, including the future of medicine uh, from this uh, uh, expert in the field, who says, you know, honestly, people can go see their doctor on Skype. Yeah, really, and that's what the future of medicine holds. Um, and it would be cheaper, and uh, also kind of debunk some of the some of the things about um, competition in terms of uh, healthcare and free market. So we get into all of that later on, but I do just want to get to some uh, news headlines before. Uh, we get to that interview, and, uh, well, all right, so we're learning more today about WikiLeaks and the CIA investigation. Um, investigators are working to find the source of the WikiLeaks dump, the, uh, the leak to WikiLeaks, um, and they're likely, according to the Wall Street Journal, focusing on outside contractors for the CIA. Um, a uh, disaffected insider, not a foreign government, is believed to be behind the leak of thousands of documents, on the CIA cyber spying capabilities, um, the FBI is hunting to find the responsible party for the leak and set to interview possibly more than a thousand people who may have had access to the leaked information. Um, you know, we talked about this yesterday the outrage and the irony of the outrage here that, you know, they're concerned because all of a sudden the, the outrage here, what do we hear? It's because it was leaked to WikiLeaks, and, you know, WikiLeaks also uh, is responsible for leaking the Podesta emails that showed how corrupt the Hillary Clinton campaign is. And, you know, when it fits their agenda, and, you know, and this investigation possibly relates to Trump, and, okay, but when it fits their agenda, there's outrage. When it doesn't, when Trump... It says that there's wiretapping going on at Trump Tower, and now we know, we are learning more, that Lieutenant General Michael Flynn was wiretapped, and they had his phone monitored, and they may have listened in, or they did listen in, to his conversation with the Russian ambassador, which was part of his preparation for a job. But here's the bigger and the larger issue here. Put WikiLeaks aside, and whatever your opinions are about that in the campaign, put that aside. We have a government that doesn't know what the hell they're doing, and they're leaking classified information, and we need people to go to jail now, okay, because they're doing everything in their power. There's some sort of mole or multiple moles in the federal government and in the CIA that are leaking information to damage President Trump and it's very clear that this uh, this is a whole operation against our president and it's very clear that the leaks from the inside are damaging to our country because now what do we know okay we know what we shouldn't know and okay they say and i i went on a tangent yesterday on yesterday's podcast about the use of uh the smart TVs and our webcams and our phones and are they spying on us well they say that they're not and they say that they're only spying on the bad guys I just don't know if that's true I just don't know if I can believe that because the government screws everything up they just do and what do we learn when Snowden released all this information they're spying on every single individual not just terrorists now, do we need to spy on terrorists? Yes, and let's be clear. We need national security measures in place, and that involves technology. And I w- was adamant about um, Apple handing over the terrorist iPhone. I've been adamant about a lot of national security issues. And frankly, if if our systems need to be compromised a little bit to protect our nation and our security, I get it. But to this extent, when you're literally can spy on every person when you can um, operate their vehicle from some sort of joystick in Washington. That is a problem. That is big brother overreach. And they want to maintain their grip and control over people. And power corrupts. And that's what we have to know. And that's what we have to make sure that now we get the person to leak this information— and we find out who is the source that's leaking to the media because now all of a sudden the media is outraged because they didn't leak to them. They leaked to WikiLeaks. And But they love getting classified information, especially when it damages Trump. You see what's going on? They publish all of these stories. Oh, well, inside information, this dossier, this whatever it is, and uh, this could be the end of Donald Trump. This is what their agenda is. But then when you get—then when you really get classified information and that information—I mean, this is all classified, but you get information that shows about their national security uh, uses and their uh, techniques, and you find out about their strategy that now every other country knows about, and Iran and Saudi Arabia, they all know our our techniques, and China, which is dangerous, and Russia— Now they know what we do. And they could copy us, and they could hack us. Well, that's fantastic. And not only that, but we pissed people off because apparently the CIA was pretending that it was Russia. Okay? And there's evidence or reporting that the CIA pretended that it was Russia and hacked into Trump Tower. And don't think this is a conspiracy theory because it's not that far reached. They hacked into Trump Tower, they claim that they were Russia, all to damage President Trump. And these are this is what's being reported. You may not know about it. I'm telling you now. I mean, how sick is that? That they that they spy and they aim to target a political adversary because they don't like him. This is worse than anything we've ever seen before. It is politics to an extreme. It is Corruptness at the highest level, it is a federal government who wants to maintain its control over its people and doesn't want someone like Trump to shake things up and give power back to the American people. And that's what Trump wants to do. But there's other politicians, intel officers, they want control over us, and it's got to end. We have to take back our country, and I thought we did on November 8th. Um, James Comey made a comment yesterday that, well, you're stuck with me for another six and a half years. That was reported by the Washington Post. He's got to go because he's become a political figure, and intelligence, what do I always say? Intelligence can never be politicized, and that's what we've done throughout the entire campaign, and it's wrong. And it's more than wrong. It's criminal, and it only hurts our country. Um, Congress is probing uh, the Islamic State counter-propaganda operations. Um, congressional investigators now are demanding documents and contracting witnesses in a wide-ranging probe of the Defense Department's troubled anti-propaganda efforts against the Islamic State. The investigations put forth in the House Oversight and Government Affairs Committee, following reporting by the Associated Press in January that uncovered critical problems with the program known as WebOps, and that revealed conflicts of interest in a new contract potentially worth $500 million to expand psychological operations against ter- terrorist groups. So it is uh, Chaffetz of the House Oversight Committee, Elijah Cummings of Maryland, the committee's top Democrat, and uh, other lawmakers on the panel are requesting corporate and government information about the program and separate letters to the contractor running WebOps, which is an uh, uh, Alabama-based Colsa Corporation, and to Defense Secretary uh, James Mattis. Um, WebOps, just to give you a little background on it, relies on Arabic-speaking anal- uh, analysts who scour Twitter and other social media platforms for people whose postings suggest they are vulnerable to the Islamic State's sophisticated propaganda. Um, so they use fictitious identities, um, and then they reach out to the potential recruits and urge them not to join the extremists. But apparently many of the analysts are not fluent and don't have the cultural background the work requires, according to AP reporting. So there needs—listen, I've said this for a while, that— Not only does there need to be a counter program, propaganda program against uh, ISIS and the Islamic State and radical Islamic terrorism and and this extreme ideology because the whole thing is ideology. Because if you study this like I have and talk to experts like I have, you understand that or you learn that the Islamic State thrives on finding people— who are not as confident as you and I may be in themselves. They lack the self confidence. They lack um, a self awareness, and they have major self esteem issues. And they target these people, usually a Muslim faith, and they convince them to go to the the exact uh, the precise uh, teachings of the Quran which would be a very radical view of it to take the book literally in its meaning and they convinced them to send back money or to send back resources to ISIS or plot, uh, create plots in their own country or fly to Syria for example and The United States' efforts to advance liberty online is key, and I don't know if we're doing enough. And clearly, if these so-called experts don't know how to properly speak the language, they're blowing their cover. And this needs to be a very covert and a very um, intelligent operation, and it seems like it's not. So the Congress is probing these operations, which is— so vital because the online propaganda machine that is the Islamic State is how that they is how they thrive, and they are changing the way that they operate now from uh, a militant group that was seizing territory to now focusing on inspiring threats in countries, especially the United States, where they've waged war on us, and they believe that democracy is the enemy of Islam. This is what they said. And they are inspiring attacks in our country and plots for that matter. Um in that realm in terms of uh the border and immigration uh today came out that illegal border border crossings decreased by 40% in Trump's first month, and this has a lot to do, so crossing the U.S. southern border, dropping 40% in Trump's first month of his presidency, has a lot to do with Trump's harsh stance on immigration, his enforce the law stance on immigration. And because of it, they're, they are being deterred from coming into our country. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Um, and then, of course, the questions at the press briefing today, oh, does that mean you don't need the wall? No, of course you need the wall. We have to follow through. You have to follow through on these policies. You can't just be all talk, no action, because then they'll really walk all over you and walk into our country. Remember, we've had this conversation with Michael Cutler, a retired immigration agent on this program, and the smuggling situation, well, not only is it a dangerous trek to cross the southern border, but they also smuggle children into the United States. And... This is highly dangerous, and there are multiple things that happen when they smuggle uh, kids into the United States. I mean, first of all, I don't know how any parent, even if they want a better life for their kid in America, allow a criminal, because that's what they are—they're criminal thugs, they're druggies, they are—they run prostitution rings, and they allow them to take their son or daughter through the border in a very dangerous trek, and. What happens many times, sadly, is they may make it across the border, and then they are sold into sex slavery. And this is something that continues to go on, and it's really not widely covered or reported on. There are very few journalists that continue to report on this, and that's something that needs to be told. Because these children, I mean, it's like the movie Taken. Where they're smuggled into our country, and then they're sold into sex slavery, prostitution rings, and things of that nature, and drugs. And they get hooked on drugs, and they're dependent on heroin that they smuggle in with them. It's a very sick operation. So, um, nice to hear that the illegal border crossings are decreasing, at least this last month. Um, but... Now we have to really continue to ma- uh, maintain vigilance, which is what Secretary John Kelly, Homeland Security Secretary John Kelly, has said. Uh, we have to be vigilant. We have to continue to. We have to enforce the law. We have to hire the Border Patrol officers and make sure that things are done right. Um, Kelly uh, actually said that border agents usually see a. 10 to 20% increase in illegal immigrant apprehensions from January to February. But that dropped uh, from 31,578 border crossings to 18,762 border, illegal border crossings this past month. But still too high. I'd like to get that number to zero. That, to me, would be ideal. Um, and that's where we're moving towards. So... We're enforcing the law. Uh, There are things that are working very smoothly in the White House and the Trump administration. You know, really just uh, a little over a month in. But the attacks from the other side of the aisle and the, the moles inside of intelligence, they continue to try to undermine Trump. It's unbelievable. They just can't support our country. It's disgusting. It really is. And it makes me so mad and angry and upset. Uh, all things that we will continue to cover for you and lay it out for you on Sunday's show uh, on the video, uh, the New Lake Crystal Show Sundays at twelve noon Eastern Time, nine a.m. Pacific Time. Um, we will come back with Robert Rayboys, a expert on healthcare policy from George Mason University. Look him up; he's got some incredible research, and we get into the detail of the healthcare and how it affects your wallet and what this bill, if passed, would mean. For you and really what's the future of your health care so again to now the neil a caruso show podcast on this thursday
2: follow neil a caruso on twitter facebook, facebook youtube and instagram. instagram to never miss the important news without the filter of the media the neil a caruso show podcast
0: green light hey girl school zone i'm getting hungry
2: Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. A ranger station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire and Smokey Bear hugged me. So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh Uh-huh. Yep, yeah, he's just letting you know you did good. Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update! I'm gonna let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokyBear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. going to let you down. And neither will Neal A. Caruso. With you every day on the Neal A. Caruso Show podcast and Sundays at noon Eastern on the Neal A. Caruso Caruso Show. Show on Crusoe.com. He's the real deal. Telling it the way it is to make a difference.
0: Now joining us on the Neal A. Caruso Show podcast is Dr. Robert Grayboys. He's a senior research fellow at the Mercatus Center. At George Mason University in Arlington Virginia and he joins us over the phone right now Dr. is thank you for taking the time
1: oh delighted to do so Neil thanks
0: so let's go through the health care bill first of all you know I'm looking at this uh, bill and I've been honest that uh, this is not an ideal bill in my opinion um, you look at this it's not that conservative in nature um, the pre-existing conditions still exist they get rid of the mandate but there are sub- and the subsidies, but there are taxes in place that is basically a de facto uh, subsidy. Um, what is your opinion and analysis of this um, health care bill?
1: Right. Well, uh, this bill, if this bill were to pass and get signed and be implemented into law um, – I'm fairly confident that it would actually worsen the situation rather than improve it. Wow. <clears throat> and I'll, I'll add to it that uh, people who know the Hill far better than I do assume that um, if it, it emerges and gets signed, it'll look substantially different from this. So, um, so we're really talking about two different things. But this one, as written, uh, has very serious problems.
0: All right, so let's go over the problems. Um, And President Trump has said that this is a negotiating point; that this is not (coughs) the all, you know, end-all, be-all. But at the same time, he has endorsed it. Um, And Speaker Ryan talked about it today. And you know, really, I don't think the rollout is that smooth because now they're clarifying that this is just a reconciliation part, and there are three phases. Um, But a clear two House panels today that's uh, setting up to be put on the House floor uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, what parts of this are you concerned with and what, um, obviously it's not a full repeal. This, uh, reconciliation bill, um, does not represent a full repeal of Obamacare. So the premiums and deductibles actually may go up, um, and will stay as high as they are, uh, as it is under Obamacare. So what specifically concerns you about this bill?
1: Right. Well, I mean, the basic problem is that it still retains, most of the structure of the Affordable Care Act. Um, uh, it yanks out selected pieces. Uh, and, the, and the problem is that selecting yank, yanking out selected pieces can actually take a bad thing and make it worse. Uh, so, for example, it retains modified community rating. Um, health insurers still are severely limited in how they may price policies for an individual, uh, and yet it takes away the individual mandate. Um, I'm certainly not a fan of individual mandate. Um, If you're going to have community rating or anything close to it, that's probably an essential feature, uh, and and you really need to deal with both problems at once, not simply, um, you know, removing the brakes as you're heading downhill. Uh, it actually, so it it swaps out the individual mandate and adds something in, which is essentially a different individual mandate, which is this 30% surcharge uh, on if you don't maintain continuous coverage. Right. So what that means is you know, under the current law, You're going to be paying penalties if you don't have insurance, but then if you then decide to buy into it, you pay what everyone else pays. What this says is, no, we're not going to penalize you for not having coverage, which uh, right there amplifies your, it incentivizes you to not have coverage. And then it says, well, if you suddenly find that you're gravely ill, if you've got cancer, uh, we, we'll allow you to buy in, but you're going to have to pay an extra 30% for one year, which is going to amount to a couple hundred dollars, couple thousand dollars. Uh, and so, if you're doing that calculus in your head, you're going to think, "Well, let's see. I can I get off scot-free unless I get cancer, and if I do, so fine. I'll drop a couple hundred, couple thousand, and and then after a year, I'm uh, I'm I'm back where I where I ought to be." So that's one problem, and uh, you know many other problems. So, I certainly am not a fan of all the taxes. It, um, you know, my previous job before I worked at Mercatus, I was uh, was working on that and wrote over those years um, a lot of criticisms, kind of scathing criticisms of all the taxes it was laying on the system. It yanks them out. And we don't actually know the cost yet. Um, right. ACA supporters are saying we need a CBO score, and I'll have to concede them the point that, um, you know, that uh, lack of transparency was a huge problem in 2009, 2010. Uh, I'd hate to see us return to that same uh, uh, same sort of uh, standing here just from the other side. Yeah, I mean— so,
0: Yeah, so put the politics aside, and I know that you're apolitical, and I honestly, I'd rather just talk about the policy because too many times we're worried about politicians' re-election. But frankly, after this presidential election, I think that it's more important that we actually institute good policy for the American people because if the Republicans specifically, but also the Democrats who – you know many of uh many of whom are are going to be in re-election in states that Trump won it's a political here it's got to be do the best plan for the people and clearly Obamacare didn't work um, the Affordable Health Care Act wasn't affordable and it, and it's not sustainable um you mention uh a few things like the mandate and the mandate um basically you know taxing on health insurance has for employers, anyway, has reduced the um, the incentive to hire more employees, so it's hurt the economy. In what ways would this bill possibly hurt the economy?
1: Well, it continue. You know, for one thing, I mean, let's see how would it hurt the economy. Well, of course, first of all, if it in fact were a budget buster, that's that's a problem looking forward. Uh, if if it caused turmoil in the insurance markets uh... you know we're in something of a slow death spiral uh... already with uh, with the current the current law mm-hmm. now, death spirals can go in a couple of directions i'll point to a couple of states that instituted a c a like laws to some extent in the nineteen nineties and over the next decade or so went through some turmoil so in uh... in the state of kentucky Uh, They they instituted something in the mid-90s that looked very much like the ACA, um, except without an individual mandate. And if you don't believe the current individual mandate is too effective, and that's a good argument, uh, then it's not that dissimilar. And what happened was, piece by piece by piece, the insurance markets in Kentucky began to fall apart, along with... uh, pressing the state's finances so that the state finally piece by piece began unraveling the law throwing pieces of it over the railing uh, until finally essentially the whole law was gone same people who had passed it uh repealed it piece by piece and you had a mess of an insurance market that in some respects is still suffering from those years yes Uh, You had an even worse situation in Tennessee where they had something that resembles the ACA's uh, Medicaid expansion. Uh, They greatly expanded the number of people on Medicaid. Uh, It began to drain the state's treasury uh, to the point of uh, emptiness. And finally, they had to just write out 200,000 letters and mail them out and say, you know, all that insurance we we made – a big ballyhoo about giving you, well, it's gone now. You don't have insurance anymore. Uh, meanwhile, the state was left in a serious financial situation that took years to clean up. Uh, on the other hand, New York, about the same time, did something similar, your state. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it had something of a death spiral, but it didn't spiral out of control to the same extent there. What happened there was premiums went up, uh, this this law, which was intended to expand coverage in New York, didn't actually expand coverage. All it did was it sent premiums to the roof, and then it sort of stabilized in that bad news situation. So where are we with the ACA? If we just left the ACA in place, would we have a Kentucky or a Tennessee, or would it be a New York situation where the premiums go up, but basically it sort of settles in and, and, and the... Uh, the death spiral stops itself. Uh, I do, my, my guess is the death spiral continues, but that's conjecture right now, and these sort of things have to play out with time. Yeah. I'm more confident that if you pass this bill as is, again, without amending anything, which isn't going to happen, uh, if you passed it as is, uh, you would accelerate the death spiral. You would... You would um, Uh, send insurance markets probably into even more turmoil than they're already in, that would have serious economic ramifications. You would have uh, employers whose whose employees uh, were scrambling for insurance. You would have a, a deeply unhappy, some unknown number of millions of people um, that sort of turmoil is not helpful to the economy,
0: yep.
1: uh, and it, it could do damage. And, uh, you know, in that sort of a situation, someone could very plausibly make an argument saying uh, the ACA was on the way to stabilizing itself, but, you know, you guys shoved it over the cliff. Right, and, and then politically, um, that's very damaging as well. Right, and but from a policy standpoint, again, staying away from the politics, it's just the policy, it it's a dangerous game. Uh, you know this thing. One one of the things it did, uh, you know, for years and years. I'm as long as I've been doing healthcare, which is so I don't know about 23 years. Um, I've written repeatedly and thought repeatedly about uh, the employer's role. We unwisely built in far too powerful an employer role in in the distribution of health insurance, and that's right. the source of a lot of our problems. And uh, in this particular case, the, um, you know, it was fairly late in the game. They, uh, they got rid of the, uh, the cap, and they really bolstered em- the employer side, uh, and that can be a problem, too.
0: Yeah, I mean, employers uh, now, for the most part, are the main providers of insurance for uh, working Americans. And by the way, we're talking to Dr. Robert Grayboys from George Mason University, the Mercatus Center there. Um, Let's talk about the fact that, you know, this is such a massive entitlement program, um, and it's been handed over to Republicans. They now own this, but it's been a basically, um, in the time of the program, that gave 20 million Americans health insurance, albeit uh, not that great of health insurance, and really damaged uh, a lot of people financially in terms of these rising premiums. I mean, we've seen astronomical numbers in places like Arizona, uh, 116% yep. there, and and rising deductibles. You can't even use the insurance. Um why is it so necessary that the Affordable Health Care Act gets repealed and replaced? And what would be the ideal system? Putting the American Health Care Bill that uh, that's in the House right now
1: aside. Sure, that's a, that's a great question, and it actually feeds into the main part of my work. Um, I sort of my central thesis in healthcare, and I, I wrote a monograph a couple years ago called "Fortress and Frontier in American Healthcare." That's available on the Mercatus site. And my thesis there is that uh, when you really dig down, left and right are not all that different in American healthcare. care, that both sides uh, really are occupy, or they have a worldview that I characterize as the fortress. It's a view that says uh, public policy has two major purposes, one which is, To imagine every bad thing that could happen to someone getting health care and throw all your resources at trying to prevent every bad thing from happening. And the second is sort of a protectionist notion that, well, doctors and hospitals and all those, they're good guys, and let's make sure we protect them from outside competitors. Mm -hmm. The opposite viewpoint, which I call the frontier, is best characterized by the information technology industry. Uh, the information technology industry, which 25 years ago, for some miraculous reason, Congress unleashed its ability to um, to innovate, to for markets to operate in ways they had never operated before, and we went from 25 years ago when I knew exactly one person who owned a cell phone, to today when there are roughly 7 billion cell phones on the face of Earth, and the poorest villages. Kids are carrying smartphones uh, that, um, you know, that are more powerful than any computer, say, the CIA owned 25, 30 years ago. Uh, how did this happen? It You know, it, it's, it's actually kind of a miraculous political story, and I don't even know how Congress got so wise at that point, but they stepped away, let markets work, they decided that they would... Um, Rather than try to anticipate every bad thing, to uh, to adopt a stance that said, "Let's let things function. When something bad happens, we'll fix it along the way." In healthcare, we've taken the opposite stance. So we have the Affordable Care Act, which is this gigantic takeover in many ways of yes. one-sixth of the economy. But quite frankly. Uh, even conservative opponents of it uh, tend to be on that fortress side so you know 50% of the american economy is a single pay, uh, of the healthcare system is a single payer system it's medicare medicaid or uh, various other government programs so we're already halfway to a single payer system there and yet uh, when you look at the real meat of where healthcare happens the ones who really control how to the extent to which markets function or do not function, a lot of that power is actually concentrated in the states uh, through professional licensure mm-hmm. through certificate of need uh, through scope of practice regulations, corporate practice of medicine there's a whole uh, con- uh, restrictions on telemedicine. These are things that are in the control of states they are extremely potent uh ways that you could improve health care and begin doing with healthcare care what we did with cell phones, which is to turn it from a luxury good into an inexpensive thing that everyone has and that's better than it was 25 years ago. But if you look at it, and Mercatus has done research on this, we have a project called Hope H-O-A-P, that looked at the states. And the interesting thing is the patterns are not red state, blue states. Mm. <clears throat> While we don't, consider it the definitive index we think it's a good indicator and the sort of the bottommost state in the union uh in uh openness and access or if you want to call it freedom or something of that sort is georgia uh, whereas you have some states that are rather blue that end up looking pretty good in the listing wow okay but, yeah and so this i think is really where the revolution will occur that and the big the big issues which neither side is really addressing so at the federal level the biggest issues are well first of all the way medicare reimburses uh which really defines the entire system Mm -hmm. and what we have is a highly centralized highly government controlled price control system uh, that there's little resemblance to uh, anything that a market would do it does not really signal uh, what is valuable and what isn't it uh, and, and a problem
0: with that is by the way is that we're getting to almost twenty trillion dollars in debt and that's not that's not sustainable for these big government programs that are no, top items on the budget
1: no Medicare is going to break the federal government if it isn't changed substantially right but neither been kicking part, the neither party is down the road. happy Yep, and it's you know, it's not that not that far off. Um, less of a distance than when I entered healthcare. Is well, that's a within study. about
0: 20 years, correct?
1: Correct, 20, 30 years, somewhere in there. And um, so no one's tackling that. Yeah. <clears throat> that's not in the ACA, and that's in a in a significant way, and that's not in in this new one in a significant way. Um, uh, secondly, uh, the Food and Drug Administration, which restrains innovation, slows the progress in introducing new drugs and devices, um, and we can we can even look to the European Union, which I usually think of as about as bureaucratic and sluggish an organization as you could imagine, um, actually kind of has it all over us in the way they, they do that. They actually are far more market-oriented than we are. They don't have an FDA. They have a whole bunch of... Private entities, if you think of underwriters laboratories here, uh, which you know certifies the safety of uh, electrical equipment, uh, that's how they do drugs and devices over there, and they have a multiplicity of them. They're private. They're certified by the governments. It says, yeah, these guys are okay, so you can use any of these. And if you've got a drug over there that you've developed, then you want to get it approved. You look around at all these different agencies, and you decide which is the best one for me to go to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to go to one that's uh, that knows a lot about your field. You want to go to one that gets the job done quickly and, and effectively, and, and you want it safe too, uh, as opposed to the monopoly of the FDA here. And the other thing is that we, uh, both at the federal and the state level, we grant quite incredible monopolies, to, or privileges, let's say, uh, to big hospitals, general hospitals, at the expense of newer hospitals, at right. the expense, at the expense of uh, specialty hospitals. Uh, I'm doing a, a bit of research right now into, you know, an astonishing hospital chain in India which uh, does cardiology uh, op- operations, um, and. You know, their outcome, their results <clears throat> can equal or better just about any institution in the world. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, I just ran across a couple of numbers that uh, if you were to get a, a bypass a couple of years ago in at the Cleveland Clinic, it would be $106,000. At this particular hospital uh, chain in India, it would be $1,500. Wow. Why, yep. why such
0: and, a big uh, big difference there?
1: Well that you could do a whole show on that. They uh they they run it the way um Toyota runs its factories. It's uh an entirely different setup. Uh and they are extreme in I mean, down to one one of the one of the little small items I read was that they looked at it and it said hospital gowns that they ordered from overseas were too expensive, so they were gonna go to a local manufacturer for that, and huh. that cut quite a bit of costs.
0: Sounds like they're of a deal. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. So they, two or three years ago, they just opened a hospital an hour and a half south of Miami in the Caribbean, in uh, the Cayman Islands, so, okay. you know, owned by Britain. And if you want your heart surgery there, you can go down there. And uh, I, I haven't gotten the numbers on it yet, but it's, it's way lower in cost than it is here. And again, you've got incredible quality to it. And we need to look at these things. This, I think, is where we solve our problems. Um, The fact is, when all you're looking at is insurance, and that's certainly what was done in the case of the ACA, and for the most part, that's what's happening in this one. Um, I've got a piece coming out tomorrow uh, with something. I will just say that it's called the calendar test, and you'll be able to Google that up tomorrow, but um, but you know, you know before the ACA was passed, you had about 200,000 primary care doctors and a couple times that in specialists. You had a number of hospital beds, nurses, mm-hmm. uh, machines. The ACA didn't change those things. It said 20 or 30 million people are going to have access to those same number of doctors and nurses and whatever, and they were going to pretty much practice the same way they always had. And so far, when I look at this, I say I can say pretty much the same thing. You're, you're not. You're they're promising that you know everyone who's covered now will be able to keep coverage. Right. That's not. it.
0: That's dangerous. Yeah. I know. And yeah, and let me ask you though about choice because you brought this up and I'm sorry to interrupt. I just want to um, direct no, you ahead. towards uh, choice. And we're talking to Robert Grayboys um, from. The Mercado Center at George Mason University, and your research is incredible. And and honestly, you're welcome you. to come on any time to to chat about it because I find this fascinating, and this is something that affects every person. And a big part of Trump's plan was increasing choice. You know, getting rid of the state lines that we have. And you know, just a stat that I came across in my research and you know preliminary research for um, for this segment and for basically this this whole week. I see here that um, the choices had dwindled to the point that just—that one out of every three counties in the United States has just one insurer to choose from. So the choices are terrible. Um, Also, the the insurance themselves, the prices are so high, so you're not really even using the insurance. So what provisions—now, in the original Trump plan, he talks about getting rid of the state lines, increasing competition— um, and you've already seen UMATA and Aetna pulling out of Obamacare. So that's blowing up this year. Yep. And also health savings accounts so you can use your own money towards insurance, all part of the original Trump plan. What you're seeing sure. in this bill is, um, is much different from that, although they have clarified today, and Tom Price, the health and human services um, secretary, has said that uh, there will be uh, more phases that will be introduced after this reconciliation bill so how important would that um those health savings accounts and the the choice and i don't know what provision has to be made to increase competition sure. but where where do you go to implement choice
1: yeah well i'm gonna have to say i'm I'm kind of at the center on that and have been from sort of usual conservative lines for years i don't actually think the selling across state lines would do much of anything really um no i, I don't it's um it's people make a comparison to I don't know say life insurance. You, know, you can sell that some guy in you know Oregon wants to sell me life insurance in Virginia. Well, it's actually not a terribly difficult thing. Uh, they need to when I sign up for the policy, uh, they need me to you know some nurse looks at me and says no he's not on death's door uh, yet. He's he's okay. He's uh, take a blood test and yeah he looks okay. So they insure me and then i pay them once a month or once a quarter or whatever and they get their checks and the only thing they ever have to know about me after that is did this guy actually die and when i when they when i die then they write a check to somebody health insurance is a totally different matter health insurance the way we have it structured in this country um you know let, let me let me switch to car insurance uh, i've been driving for 40 40 or 5, 45 years something mm-hmm. like that I have filed, I think, two claims in that time. Uh, My car insurers don't have a lot of interaction with me. On the other hand, health insurance, I file dozens of of, of things a year. If you look down the list, it's actually hundreds of services. They've got to check it all out. They've got to establish networks. They've got to go and shake hands with doctors and hospitals. And frankly, the guy in Oregon is not going to come here and create a policy for me in general. And the fact is, if they already want to do that, if they actually wanted to do that, they already can. I mean, Aetna sells all over the country. It just means they've got to get a license in each state that they do business in, Cigna, United, all of those. So you can already go across state lines. And the fact is, in the employer market, if you're – uh, if you're in the self-insured market, which most Americans are, that's already a, that there are no state lines involved in that.
0: Okay. So, so, how do you increase choice then?
1: Well, you've got to you've got to allow in, different insurers to uh, to build different kinds of policies. You've uh, got you've got to you've got to, uh, to offer different pricing models, different uh, you know, different schemes. So, for example, uh, there, there are a couple of providers that I have written about recently and deal with and admire uh, in the primary care arena. Some, some primary care doctors have established what are called direct primary care practices, where instead of paying service by service by service, you pay a monthly fee. Uh, in general, something around $60 a month, and then it's... Um, you know, unlimited visits, 24-7, contact by email, contact by phone. I mean, one of the, you know, one of the things is that the, we have, and a lot of this is at the state level where the problems are. Uh, if you can't pay uh, the doctor to communicate by email or by phone, um, well, then they're going to tell you come into the office and you're going to take half a day off work, and then the doctor is going to have to talk to you for, you know, to be civil for, uh, you know, 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and and so to get competition, really, you're going to have to get down to these micro levels. You're going to have to change the way that we actually provide care. I mean, I'm someone I've used telemedicine. It's uh,
2: really?
1: it can be, yep, it can be a miraculous thing. I, I'd like to point out that in a sort of amateur way, my mother's life was saved by telemedicine. Uh she um she was ninety two talking to her grandson who's a doctor, who was able uh in the course of a brief conversation using FaceTime, uh, he could look at her face and watch her breathing and see that uh she was heading into a septic shock. Hmm. Um well, we have we have the capacity to do this. Um, again I've used it uh on occasion myself when my doctor was away. Uh we need to get into a mode where people rather than going through the usual, I'll make an appointment and uh you know, in a week when the doctor has an appointment I'll go in. Right. Instead you wanna be able to go on at two in the morning and uh uh get a doctor within ninety seconds and say This is what's going on with me, and what should I do? Do you think that's the future of healthcare? Yes, I do. I do in many ways. Uh, And uh, that'll dramatically
0: lower prices. You think?
1: Ultimately, that there will be—I would not just that, but sort of dozens, hundreds of these different um, uh, technologies are going to be what makes the difference. But you have to allow them to happen and that's gonna take changes in state laws, it's gonna take changes in the way we do the FDA, it's gonna take changes in the way uh, Medicare reimburses. If Medicare says, we're not gonna pay the doctor to talk to you by email or by phone or by Skype or whatever, you're gonna have to go to the office, then it essentially puts all these sorts of innovations out of business. I wrote not long ago about a company, Called uh, Lemonade, L-E-M-O-N-A-I-D, um, founded by you know, a, among other people, a uh, a doctor who's who's author of probably the most important healthcare book in the last 25-30 years, okay. um, a guy named Jason Wang. And anyway, the um, uh, this company for a certain limited scope of medications. Uh, has an app that you can go on 24 seven and order, I don't know, birth control pills, acne medication, ED stuff There's just, uh, you know, I don't know. There may be 10 different categories mm. where there is no medical need for you to actually go to the doctor's office and go through all the roll of that. Right. And whereas filling a prescription is a very time consuming thing and you're paying a doctor or somebody is paying that doctor, to spend 15-20 minutes to deal with you so that you can get a prescription um, this company demonstrated uh, in a sort of a peer-reviewed fashion, clinical studies <clears throat> that one doctor using their techniques their their technology could handle 1,000 prescriptions an hour but how safe uh, is that though? It's, it's just as safe in fact in some ways it's safer because uh, part of it is done through artificial intelligence, running queries. Your doctor will often forget to ask vital questions. as uh, As Jason mentioned to me, their app never forgets. Okay. So what kind expect. of
0: vital questions do doctors forget sometimes?
1: Oh, I don't know. I can. It's it's easy enough. You know, drug interactions, that sort of thing. What are you taking? How have you? How, when have you been taking this? Et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Uh, it has, and that can make a major difference
0: between what they prescribe.
1: Yeah, and um, so you know, there there are others. There are. I I have a device right now, so I'm looking at it on my cell phone. So just about a year ago. One and only time I had uh, a bout of atrial fibrillation, a heart arrhythmia. Okay. And I ended up in the ER, wired Oops. up, and spent seven hours there, and I was fine. The next day I was back in the swimming pool, and uh, I haven't had any problems since. Uh, however, uh, you know, in the first few weeks I was a little bit nervy, and one night I started feeling my heart going fast. so. said to my wife take me back we're going back and they wired me up and said you know know, three hours into it no there's no problem you're you're fine it's just your heart was running a little fast maybe Mm -hmm. because you you ate dinner whatever but anyway i bought a device cost 99 dollars called it a live core and it's it's on the back of my cell phone my iphone case a little thin thing um And what it does is if I ever get suspicious that, you know, is my heart doing something funky right now, which, you know, after I go for a run or I'll mow the lawn sometimes, I'll feel it thumping away. And so what I do is I pull up my cell phone and I do an electrocardiogram. Okay. And not only does it do a clinical quality EKG, FDA-approved, Uh, It also has artificial intelligence component that analyzes the wave pattern of my heart and says, uh, fortunately for the last year, it has always said, no abnormalities detected. You're doing fine. Um, That saves you a lot of time. Yeah, on one occasion I was on a trip, and I was in the middle of absolutely nowhere in western Pennsylvania coming from a speech. Uh, I had about a seven- or eight-hour drive. And halfway through, and on a very desolate road, I thought I'm having it. Uh, this is happening again. Yeah. So, pulled into a service station, pulled out my phone. It said, "Nope, you're fine. Uh, your heart's you know, It's my heart was running a little bit faster than usual. Um, my fit. I've been monitoring it with my Fitbit too. And I waited a little longer, took it again, and said, "Okay, I can go home." And then on the way in my car, I thought. I just saved somebody $3,000 <laughs> cuz I didn't have to go to an ER and wire myself up to be told nothing's wrong with me. Right. And I can go on all day with these the devices like this, the different ways that doctors can can get to you. This these are the game changers. This is not what Washington's talking about. Yeah, um,
0: fascinating.
1: And it's low-hanging fruit. Um and, you know, Why aren't just, they
0: talking about it? Is it because, and by the way, I'm talking to um, Dr. Robert Grayboys from George Mason University. Why aren't they um, talking about it, Bob?
1: Well, that's a great question. Um, I think they're used to it. They're used to thinking that the only thing that matters in healthcare is health insurance. So plastic cards are the only thing you should talk about. Mm. And so they focus on the demand side of healthcare. They ignore or are ignorant of the supply side. No, like I can go, I teach at a couple of medical centers and I can stand in front of a bunch of doctors, uh, mid-career doctors and nurses and some med school professors and I'll flash that thing on my phone and say, does anyone know what it is? And they don't. And I can, I, can, I, I can talk to a room of hundreds of insurance administrators. None of them will know the thing. I so, well, why don't you? If you've got a patient with AFib, every time one of them avoids a trip to the ER by using a cell phone, you've saved thousands of dollars. And yep. and if they actually do need, if it says, no, you better get to the emergency room now, uh, you may avoid having a uh, you know, $100,000 stroke case on your hand. So, um, uh Honestly, people don't know these things, even people deep in the profession. There is a siloing. Um, there's an unawareness uh, among professionals in insurance, in medicine, of uh, the the miracles that are out there. I, mean, I, just, I just read an astonishing story of a woman in Japan who was ill. They couldn't figure what was wrong with her, and she was in the best hospitals there for six months being looked at and... By multiple doctors. They couldn't get it. So they decided to wire her up with Watson, the IBM computer that right, won sure. Jeopardy. Uh, Watson took in her data, uh, scanned 20 million journal articles, and in 10 minutes said, she's got this weird, rare leukemia.
0: Wow. And when
1: they looked, it was exactly that. It took ten minutes for a computer to do these diagnoses, um, and and I mean that's where a lot of things are heading. I, right now, I'm doing some writing on electronic health records, and we're doing that completely wrong. They are going to be extremely important, but we're not taking them in the right directions, and uh, and and these things, using the data that we will one day have. Uh, access to through properly designed EHRs. Uh, I don't know. We have people, guys I respect and trust, uh, believe somewhere between 90 and 95 percent of what doctors do today will be done by an algorithm by a computer, mm. and that we will. Uh, and then doctors can actually do things they're trained for, rather than being clericals, you know, taking doing prescriptions and typing away on computers and doing things that really are not to their liking. Right. We're wasting we're wasting the brain power of doctors.
0: And yeah, and in the same regard, doctors a lot of times today, especially if you own your own practice, you're really focusing more on the business end of the practice than you are providing health care.
1: Yes. Uh, in the progressive era in the nineteen tens and twenties, most states passed laws that essentially said business people can't enter into partnerships with doctors, uh, so that you know, you handle the medicine, I'll handle the business side. Right. Uh, we uh, really uh, decided there was a an explicit belief medicine should not be a business. Therefore, the doctors should be I don't know running the business, um, and that's how we got a lot of what, what we uh, where we are.
0: And uh, to Dr. Robert Grayboys, there are so many um, complex, and I see the future is rapidly changing with health care, and you're absolutely right. All these politicians always talk about health insurance. They don't necessarily talk about care. Um, one thing I want to get your opinion on, just on, on money is concerned, in March 2010, the CBO, which is now scoring this um, American Health Act that has been proposed by the House, um, in March 2010, CBO projected – that 21 million people enrolled on—there would be 21 million people enrolled on the Obamacare exchanges by 2016. Today, there are about 12.7 million um, on the exchange. So obviously much less paying into the system, which causes a lot of um, unsustainability. Um, How would the American Health Care Act, if these three phases that are supposed to be put forth following this— uh, this reconciliation bill, how would that uh, bring down the prices? How can they um, effectively use technology uh, to encourage uh, more people to get better health care at a lower cost?
1: well again, i don't I don't know without much requiring in, without the mandate yeah yeah, 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 I don't know much well, and I like to say that uh, in information technology, which is just as complex as medicine, and by the way, just as dangerous when people say, well, they're not comparable. Uh, medicine is life and death. I will note that uh, it is um, it is cell phones. It is that explosion. And, I mean, bad choice of words with where I'm going. It was the growth in cell phones that allowed the 9-11 attacks to occur, uh, IEDs in Iraq, financial fraud like we never imagined possible, all sorts of – they're very dangerous items that we, again – Decided we would take the risks and go ahead and deal with them as we went along. Right. Uh, there was no mandate. We went from from computers and cell phones being toys of the wealthy to, and I love using the, the term, universal coverage in in the span of less than 25 years. And no one had to, the government didn't have to promise it, didn't have to force you. Uh, there was no government program to provide everyone with uh, a cell phone or a computer. It just happened because they innovated, uh, innovated their way there, and um, and so I don't. I mean, so far I don't see much in this particular piece of legislation that's going to do that. Again, I think a lot of that's going to come from the day of reckoning when when Congress realizes we actually do have to fix Medicare. Uh, yep. The way it reimburses. When we do have to fix the FDA, because the FDA isn't even going to be able to control uh, the release of, of drugs and devices the way it used to. It's not even going to be able to stop them. Um, and they need to figure out what their their mission is in the 21st century. Uh, it's going to have to be up to the state governments, uh, and all of these things are going have to have to happen, and and they're important. Um, there is we, we, low-hanging fruit to be had we're just not we're not going for it we're trying to do everything by tinkering around with health insurance policies uh, and and as long as as long as that's what we're doing I'm afraid it's going to be a zero-sum game zero-sum games are always sad games because somebody uh, loses in it uh, the ACA you know Frankly, the ACA had lots of people who were winners and lots of people who were losers. Some people gained coverage, some effectively lost coverage. Some spend more, some spend less. Uh, all we did was we shifted things around. We moved the chairs around the deck. Yeah. Um, until we deal with the supply side, which isn't happening here to any great extent, and certainly didn't happen in the ACA. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we're not. We're not going to get out of that. T- that binds. So that. what
0: would you what would you propose as a policy a healthcare policy expert? What would you propose to reform the way the healthcare system is? I mean, I guess I guess the core of this is the role of government in healthcare because I mean, you know, I've compared this system uh, to Canada's single payer system. Frankly, we have way too many people here to provide health insurance for everybody most people do want health insurance or at least you know people that are uh, that are older than 30 want health insurance or are provided by their employers but if you have a single payer system you're decreasing the quality of care as you see in canada there are much longer wait times so really i guess the core of this is the role of government and and maybe they should just get out of the health insurance business, the health care business entirely, but what would you propose to reform this entire mess?
1: Well, I, there are things I could say. I'll start by saying the problem the, the problem began with coming up with the assumption that you could come up with a solution, uh, a bill, a law, uh, that uh, a giant plan that would fix everything. Um, that was that's been a mistake, mistake for many decades. Uh, to some extent, the way Medicare was was designed was we're going to pass one big law and that fixes everything for older people. Yeah. Uh, the ACA was going to pass one big law and that fixes everything for everybody. And um, my fear is that Congress will now try to go down and say, "Now our law will fix everything with, with our one big law." Uh, in, in Fortress and Frontier, I had a section I compared two strategies of Pacific warfare in World War II. Uh, one was um, uh, where you, where you were sort of taking giant patches of the ocean and moving in a straight line. Uh, the other was called island hopping, where you you, know, you went you, know, you you went after this little island and then you looked around and found another one and then you found another one and piece by piece by piece by piece you took the ocean. Uh, and I argued that to some extent we're probably going to have to do more of an island-hopping strategy here, uh, which is, um, uh, you know, and and in Fortress and Frontier I listed, I don't know, 35, 40 different things you could start, you know, relaxing provisions on telemedicine, um, uh, loosening up the the way Medicare reimburses, uh, changing the structure of the FDA, uh, chain dropping the corporate practice of medicine. For, Um, prohibitions that some states have it's going to take lots and lots and lots of smaller pieces like this Mm. and um, I'm not confident that one gigantic comprehensive piece of legislation is is going to do it we've gotten into the habit of assuming everything has to be comprehensive legislation Uh, so you would do uh,
0: smaller bills to focus on certain parts of the healthcare system?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. Again, we're we're starting to eke over here into the politics and the practical art of uh, of of running a government, and that's that's not what I do. I can. I well, can no, I university. understand that, but yeah. I mean, the policy. Yeah, but yes, the policy but yes. matters. But yes, uh, there, you know, there are some big fixes. Yeah, you know, fixing the um, fixing the FDA is one big fix. Fixing. Medicare is another big fix fixing the state laws dropping certificate of need restrictions and scope of practice restrictions and uh, allowing you know, you know Lots more again. I've, I've written a number of these and uh, these You know lots of these different things can be done piecemeal and separately instead of uh, I think the current Congress is trying to do the same thing that the ACA did, which is we're going to do everything all at once and wrap it all up into a bow. And right,
0: and their system is going to be better than the last Congress that tried. Yeah, um,
1: yeah. And so uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I, it, in in some way, I'm glad I'm not the one up on Capitol Hill no, having <laughs> to make these choices because we all are. Uh, it, it's yeah, it's a lot harder when you're actually there, and I recognize that, and I don't want to. Uh, you know, be an armchair, ivory tower kind of guy. I'm aware of that. Um, but, sure. but when we do these gigantic, comprehensive things, uh, we get ourselves into trouble. Uh, we're, not, <clears throat> we're not that smart. And what you want to design is a system that doesn't require uh, you know, the government to be a genius um, you know, puppet master.
0: Well, that's a good point because I think there are a lot of unintended consequences when you have such a um, such a comprehensive bill, and then you know things arise that you never thought of, etc. Let me ask you just one last question because I know Mm -hmm. we're going over the time that you uh, set aside for this, and I appreciate you taking the time. That's
1: okay. It's been fun. It
0: it has been, and and I'm learning a lot, which is fantastic, and and hopefully people are learning as well. Let me ask you about um, the Medicare system because. Obviously, this has to be reformed, and just in terms of the budget. Um, but why is it so broken? First of all, and second of all, what in the uh-huh. Medicare bill can be changed, um, or the Medicare plan can be changed uh, to benefit seniors? Because obviously, they hear, "Oh, we're gonna, we're gonna hurt," you know, "we're gonna hurt old people," and this is what um, the the line is from the opposition party that they're trying to hurt um that they're trying to harm um the elderly so how do you reform the system and make sure that they you know i guess both medicare and medicaid and in general both have to be reformed so how would you go about reforming yeah. that so no one gets hurt
1: yeah my wife's on it and i'm two years from it so uh it's uh so it's a it's a, of direct interest you know i've uh, I once talked to a a free market group. Uh, Free market was in their title, and it was a bunch of doctors. And uh, I was mentioning that hospital that had just opened in the Cayman Islands, where you can get some of the world's best cardiology uh, surgery uh, at substantially lower prices. And I I, I said, uh, you know, one question I have is, why won't Medicare let me take my money down there you know, and save the American people, the taxpayers, $60,000 by doing the surgery there instead of here. Mm-hmm. And one of the doctors said, well, I have uh, a fear about that. I said, well, okay, what's that? And I, I, I talk about it with my students all the time, so I've got a whole list of the fears that they give. You know, Maybe they won't speak English, maybe there's infections down there, maybe the plane trow- His His statement was, well, I'm just afraid that we American doctors may not be able to compete with those kind of prices. Huh. And I just said, remind me the name of the organization again. I said, you've just given the same argument that the automakers and steel manufacturers and textile industry have used over the years, saying, well, protect us because we just can't do it. Right. So one thing is to to ask questions like that. So why can't I take my money down there if I want to? The second one is... Why don't those hospitals want to build in the U.S.? Um, it's, it's a, you know, they, they tend to build in the Caribbean, whatever, because there are things that are very unattractive about building in the U.S. Um, and by the way, these hospitals are, are quality certified by the same organization that certifies them here. Okay. Um, and they're usually staffed full of American trained, board certified doctors. <clears throat> so ask you know why doesn't why won't medicare pay my doctor if i do a 5 minute phone call uh save the doctor time save me time if we both think i can handle it by skype or by phone or by email why won't medicare pay for that it's it's virtually the only industry in america that won't pay for those sorts of things mm-hmm. You know, when I deal with my accountant, and my attorney, well, they can they can bill time that they're dealing with me on the phone. Uh, my doctor can't. And so it's asking a thousand little questions of how come a doctor and a patient can't do the sort of financial arrangements that every other industry allows?
0: Right. And incorporate free market. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So if, um, you know, I is I have written about a surgery center surgery center of oklahoma which posts their prices online i'll give you an example there the um the uh fellow in georgia had a was told his surgery was going to cost 40,000 he looked on the website of surgery center of oklahoma which is a high quality institution and it was going to be 4,000 so he went back to his hospital his doctor said i'm just going to fly to oklahoma I said, oh, no, 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 you know what? Hospital says you can, we can do it for 4000 here. But in general, insurance companies don't like this. A lot of companies don't want to uh, allow their employees to use a facility like Surgery Center of Oklahoma. Um, there was just a Time Magazine article on them in the last month. Uh, they're essentially on a cash-only basis. Their billing is simple. You, uh, you, find, you look on the website, you need this surgery, this is to the penny what it's gonna cost you. When you get done, you write a check and you're done. It's over, and the check is often less than, you know, a copay would be somewhere else. So the question, again, is why can't you use these things? Why, why are all these obstacles preventing you from using your Medicare or your Blue Cross or whatever sure. uh, to take advantage of these things? And that's where we start fixing things. And again, I, unfortunately, that's not what's in this law, or in the ACA, or most of what's going on. And that's where I think we have to go.
0: So I guess basically, you're saying is hands-off approach from the government.
1: Well, the government has its role too. I mean, the um, you know, I I'm, I'm not an absolutist on it. The okay. National Institutes of Health do some magnificent work. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm very pleased that. Uh, uh, they're they're actually kind of switching to some, uh, if you Google up the word Eureka Prizes in my name, you'll see an article I wrote on that. They're kind of switching to almost a market-based uh, a sense of uh, how do you finance research. Uh, I, I look at the Internet and think of, of that as being a good example. The government developed the Internet in the Defense Department and then decided to release it to the public And they came up with a set of standards and protocols, which are very important. They didn't require anyone to use them. They said, here are some protocols. If you want to use these for transferring data around the Internet, be our guest. Um, And and people adopted them because they worked, because they were efficient. Uh, People altered them, amended them. There was an open source aspect to it. Uh, so that, you know, the government played a useful role, and it can play a useful role in certain places. Uh, in Fortress and Frontier, I said, look, there. You know, if, if something is you know, a very narrowly defined um, item, and you can ascertain after the fact whether it was successful or not with absolute certainty – And pretty much if you don't care what it costs, the government can do a great job. So if you want to uh, send a guy to the moon the first time or uh, detonate an atom bomb or to eradicate smallpox or develop the Internet or unlock the human genome, the government played a magnificent role in those. But also, in most of those cases, knew when to get out. Uh, actually, in the space program, I have argued in writing a couple times. Uh, it's not really my argument. I borrow it from aerospace engineers that NASA actually didn't know when to get out of the game. Uh, although um, you know i've I have noted uh, that uh, if there's any anything really positive, the Obama administration will be remembered for, I think uh, they they rather unleashed space travel, space exploration, rocketry, to the private market and competitive forces. And yes. I think that actually will be a useful thing and that uh, they will they should be well remembered for. And the question is, how can you take that spirit and put it into medicine? And there are lots of ways to do it.
0: Well, I appreciate you sharing all this insight and, and some solutions that you know, you'd hope uh, can be incorporated into this law because right now the way it's written, I have a lot of problems with it myself, and it's not going to lower prices. If anything, it's going to raise them, and, you know, just on the policy aspect, that's, um, that's going to hurt, you know, regular Americans, and they didn't vote for that. So um, I appreciate you taking the time today. Uh, Dr. Robert Rayboys, uh, a senior research fellow at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. Appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you on Sunday on the Neil A. Cruiser Show.
1: Look forward to it.
0: All right, so that ends the show for today. Really um, very insightful interview there and fascinating to learn. You know, what a, an ex-policy expert's opinion on what the future holds for the healthcare industry. I mean, what I said about you know doctors really not being able to uh, focus on their Healthcare is true. I mean, they end up being business, you know, regula- regulations and dealing with uh, the, all the business end of it that they're not really focusing necessarily on doing their job, uh, which is taking care of you. Um, so it's interesting to hear what the future holds for that. And listen, this bill needs to be shaped up, and it's going to be. It's going to be put out there in a few. Uh, forms, but I just hope that it gets done and it gets done quickly and the right way because that's what people voted for. Alright, we'll see you tomorrow on the podcast. God bless you and God bless America. The
2: Neil A. Crusoe Show Podcast is a production of Crusoe Enterprises, engaging, informing and entertaining, passion-driven, factual content that makes a difference following Neil A. Crusoe on social media and log on to Nile to sign up for Crusoe's comments, newsletters, and be the first to know.